Hello everyone, this is the Graph Theory and Networks group from the Girls Talk Math at the University of Maryland. My name is Laylee. My name is Jen. My name is Iris. My name is Nat. My name is Ayani. And I'm Evelyn. Over the course of two weeks, we learned the basics on graph theory and networks, listened to lectures on several math topics, and worked to create this podcast on Nina Pfefferman. We got the opportunity to interview her. Nina Pfefferman is an evolutionary biologist and epidemiologist. She works as a professor at the University of Tennessee for the Departments of Ecology and Evolution and Mathematics. Her research focuses on the mathematics of epidemiology, evolutionary and behavioral ecology, and conservation biology. She studies how individual behaviors can affect an entire population. Wow, she is so successful. Hmm, I wonder how she got to this point. Nina Pfefferman's interest in science started at a very young age. While she was still in middle school, she audited chemistry classes at Princeton University. She later studied mathematics to get her bachelor's degree in science from Princeton in 1999. Wow, Princeton? That's incredible. That's not all. She later received her Master of Science degree from Rutgers University in 2001 and her Doctor of Philosophy degree in Biology from Tufts in 2005. Her thesis was on using mathematical models in evolutionary biology and epidemiology. Let's get into the interview to find out more information about her. There are so many fields that mathematics can be applied to. How did you choose evolutionary biology and epidemiology? I kind of wound up in my fields by accident. When I was looking for um, a field for my PhD study, I had already gotten a master's in mathematics, and I thought about what it was that I really wanted out of my PhD, and what I really wanted was an awesome advisor and someone to really help me learn, and that I think for me that could have been anything in science that used math, uh, including mathematics. Um, so I, I could have wound up a pure mathematician or an applied mathematician or an oceanographer or a physicist or a computer scientist. And then I met, um, so I was living in Boston. And so there's a huge number of universities that have graduate programs. So I spent some time just going and talking to a bunch of people as I applied for graduate school. Um, and I met this one guy, J. Michael Reed at Tufts. And I went, oh my God, this this person would be an amazing advisor, and he happened to be a biologist. I was lucky, and he said that he would admit me. And then from there, kind of the problems, that, so, so I wanted to be a biologist, so I applied mathematics and biology. And then from there, sort of the questions that have always interested me are the ones about how different moving pieces that have very simple rules interact together to create really complicated outcomes. And evolutionary biology and epidemiology are two fields of biology where those questions are sort of immediately obvious and challenging and beautiful. Uh, so I, I didn't so much pick the field as pick my advisor. And then from that, the, the questions picked me. Were there any challenges that you encountered in your path towards becoming a mathematician? What did you do to overcome them? I guess. So I think everybody has challenges as they as they study to become whatever they are. Um, and so the biggest ones for me when I was younger are that I'm pretty dyslexic. And so I have a really hard time reading and writing on, on paper. Um, so uh, especially when I went to graduate school the first time, I was a, a PhD student in mathematics. And at the time, 
it really wasn't easy even to LaTeX things. They were just starting to be WYSIWYG programs. So, cause I'm, I'm old. Um, and so, um, doing things like understanding or being able to give chalkboard lectures are terrible for me and being able to write down proofs in, uh, on paper instead of type them is, is pretty awful. And so that, that was not the only reason, but that was a, a big reason why I didn't finish out my PhD in math to begin with. There were some other fields that were more accessible electronically, and, and I do a lot better on computers than I do on paper. Um, and so I think that was originally challenging, trying to think to myself, is this sort of, is this worth it? Does this make sense? Originally, when I when I left my PhD program in math and, and did transfer and went, okay, what I now need is a really great advisor to teach me. Part of that was I need someone who's willing to teach me the ways that I can interact with a field. And so that was also part of some soul searching of can I wind up in academia? Is that something that's still possible? But then I was really pretty lucky in that I found someone uh, in my advisor who was an amazing person who was willing to work around the things that I could or couldn't do. And then I'm also lucky just when I was born, computers make life so much better that I think if I was five years older, it would have been impossible and five years younger and I would have taken it for granted. So, so maybe I think that for me was the, was the biggest challenge, but of course I think everybody struggles with their identity in mathematics research because there's nothing more personal than how you think. And there's nothing that's a cleaner expression to the rest of the world of your thoughts than mathematics. We know that mathematics is a field that is mainly dominated by men. What advice do you have for young women who aspire to be like you and work in the math field? Uh, so you guys were kind enough to send me these questions in advance, and I really I struggled with this one because I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Also, it does still kind of suck. You walk into rooms and it is mostly male, and it's mostly white, and it's mostly older, and it definitely still sucks to do that. And the default assumptions of what a mathematician looks like changes even just the framework of how you have conversations. And I, I now say that as a full professor of math, that I still walk into a room and, and the default assumption of who can have those conversations is not, is certainly not me. And so I think in terms of advice, I guess I, I would say the biggest thing that men get out of that assumption that women don't get to leverage is the is never questioning in their soul whether or not they deserve to be having that conversation. And I think that as humans, it's very easy occasionally to have that thought drift through your mind. And so I think men have that thought drift through their mind also, and then they get to dismiss it in ways that we probably still hold on to it. And so I would say, I guess my advice really is Think about that and make sure that, that you're comfortable with it. But then please come join me because there are awesome things and wonderful things about being a mathematician. And there are awesome, wonderful things specifically about being a female mathematician. And it would honestly suck even worse if the answer was because we hold on to those questions and men don't. It stays men and it stays white and it stays mostly hetero. And it just, I mean, there's all sorts of descriptors that are that are old school that should be thrown out because for the same reasons that I, I was saying before, if math is this presentation of how you think in the world, math gets better when different people think about it different ways together. So our team here at Girls Talk Math is studying graph theory and networks. How does graph theory and networks relate to your work? A huge amount of my research is actually about networks and, and network science and some network theory. 
I love networks because they're a way of thinking about problems in ways that organize into discrete descriptors and they can be algorithmic, they can be algebraic. There can be some really applied questions where you just need to know, you know, how connected is this network? Is is everything, it, can I get to everyone from everybody else uh, in an explicit way that, that uh, things like partial differential equations don't really let you ask easily? Uh, or you know other other algebraic structures don't really let you ask. Uh, so it's sort of in my mind the perfect blend of something that's combinatorial and discrete in how I conceptualize it, but that is accessible by tools that are more traditionally algebraic or analytic. When did you first discover your love for mathematics? What was wonderful about being an undergraduate because I didn't know that I loved math until I was an undergraduate. There was a really rapid transition for me from now I understand why some of this is beautiful to being able to run around to my different professors and have them communicate their love of math to me. Not always the math itself, but that love and passion for math. And to me, I always find that really motivating and exciting when anyone, whether they're like me or not, and whether they're encouraging me or not, um, when someone can stand in front of me and go, this, this is beautiful. Don't you just see how gorgeous this idea is? I really find that compelling, even if at the end the answer is, oh, now I see what you're saying, and no, I don't think that's beautiful. But okay, I'm really glad that you do. And and there, that was really awesome for me, especially as an undergraduate, to have people who were willing to take the time to explain to me which things they thought were beautiful in math and why. What was your experience like while studying mathematics at Princeton and Rutgers? Honestly, it was pretty awesome, and it was also pretty terrible all at the same time. So I was really young. So Princeton, I did my undergraduate and Rutgers, I went to get a PhD and switched to a master's. In both of those cases, and again, this is a, a long time ago, so it's, I don't think it's like this anymore, but in both of those cases at the time, women were in the severe minority. I, I think um, my year graduating Princeton, there were only 10 math majors in total, and only two of us were women which actually wasn't that bad. When I went to graduate school, I think there were something like 60 graduate students in total. And I'm, I'm pretty sure it would, have been, it would have been hard to find eight of us who were female. And as a percentage, that doesn't sound, I mean, that still sounds terrible, but as a percentage, it, it doesn't sound as bad as the fact that on a daily basis, if you looked around for other female students, it was hard to find them. And they wouldn't necessarily have the same interests. So that felt a little more isolating, I think, than ideally it would have been. And, and there, I'm also lucky in, in that, you know, this, I'm, I'm not old enough that people were wandering around telling me to leave because I was female. Which of your professors really pushed you or inspired you to make this your main study? I had one, one professor in that who was, was amazingly wonderful for me. And I think, I think the styles might not have matched well for other students, but for me it was kind of awesome. He would, throughout the course, he would have these challenge questions that were very dinky, but, but open-ended math questions. They weren't just sort of homework problems or, or problem set challenges. They were meatier questions. And his, the way he structured his undergraduate course was, if you proved any of those, you didn't have to take the final exam. You just got an A. And when I started taking his course, I didn't even try them. I was just, in my head, I was like, there's no possible way that I'm good enough to prove any of these. I'm just going to slog through and understand the course and take the final and hope to do okay, but I'm not even going to try these questions. 
And uh, at the time, I, I don't know if it's still true, but at the time, uh, Princeton Math as a department had departmental tea uh, a couple times a week. And so he, there was one day in class where he gave one of these challenge questions. And then I, I had written it down because I wrote down most of them, but I didn't, I hadn't started thinking about it. I wasn't planning on thinking about it. I just assumed like, this is out of reach for me. This is for the, this is for the good math students. I'm, I'm not one of those people. I'm just going to ignore it. And then he ran into me at departmental tea later that day. And I don't know if, if he had any thought behind what he was doing at all, but he, he, like he drew me aside and he went, have you finished proving this yet? You can do this. I know, I know that you can prove this one. Why have, is it done yet? And, and I looked at him and I, I didn't have the guts to go, are you crazy? I just went, Oh no, I haven't proven it yet. I'll, I'm still trying instead of I haven't been trying and I don't plan on trying and what are you crazy? Um, and that was, I think, I think it was a Tuesday, Thursday class and that was on a Thursday. And I don't, and because he had said to me, I think you can do this and, and have you done it yet? And why, you know, why haven't you done this? Um, that really, that moment sort of made me feel like, oh my God, my, my brilliant professor who does, and he was one of the ones who was amazing at communicating how beautiful he thought these ideas were. He really clearly thought the, all of these ideas were very beautiful. That really sort of kicked me into like, well, he thinks I can do it, so maybe I can do it. And, and now I'm definitely not going to let him down. He thinks I, I have a shot at this. So I don't think I did anything else between that Thursday afternoon and that Tuesday morning. Um, and I did, I walked into to class the next Tuesday morning with a sketch, not a whole proof, but a sketch of what I thought was the proof. And he's, he followed up. He remembered that he'd said that to me. And as I, as he walked, I got the class early cause I was excited. Um, and as he walked into the room, he looked at me and he went, do you have it? And I looked at him and I was like, maybe. <laughs> and I showed him the proof and he looked at me and went, go write this up more rigorously. And, and that for me was another sort of turning point where I was like, oh, wow, I, I really could do this thing that you know, looking back on it, it's sort of a dinky, trivial thing that I proved. But it was this amazing feeling of like this person who thinks his field is beautiful and does this incredible deep work that sometimes I don't even understand what I'm supposed to in lecture thought I could thought I could contribute to this and thought I could do it. And then I did it. How does your research help people or support the common good? My work in epidemiology is frequently about how do you intervene in outbreaks of infectious diseases in order to minimize the number of people who get sick or not necessarily to minimize the number of people who get sick, but to minimize the number of people who die. That's interesting. Well, it was nice speaking with you, Professor Pfefferman. As you can see, Professor Pfefferman is a great figure in the field of science and mathematics. We hope that talking about her career has inspired some of you. Girls are smart. Every equation you do is a form of art. It's time to get together. Fly a rocket, build a house, and control the weather with math. 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 Yes. Who here likes math is not a man. You could be a female mathematician.